Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here, and welcome to episode seven, yes, seven of Music on the Run. This week's guests are Ben and Leo Sidron, father-son team. Now, the Peterson family has known these two for, I would say, over 35 years. Ben is responsible for so much of the good things that has happened to the Peterson family. He has created so many opportunities for us with the Steve Miller Band and David Sanborn, to name a couple of things, and of course, touring with him as an artist all over the world. Ben is an author, he is a television personality, and of course, a recording artist and a producer and a doctor. Yes, he is. The doctor is in. And of course, his kid. We've called him Kid Leo forever, but uh, Leo is an incredibly talented producer, artist, multi-instrumentalist, and uh, even has an Academy Award nomination. And those two are next on Music on the Run. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and you like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here, and welcome to another edition of Music on the Run. And today's podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing two of my favorite people, and they have to be father and son. Ben is a Grammy-nominated artist with 30-plus solo albums to his credit. He's also an accomplished producer, author, and journalist, and constantly tours hmm. all over the world. Leo is an Academy Award and Grammy-winning producer, a multi-instrumentalist and recording artist who also composes for film and commercials. He also happens to host a really rad podcast called The Third Story. Welcome, please, Ben and Leo Sidron. Hey, thank Fellas. you, Paul. Thank so you, how much? Paul. How many lies did I just tell her? A couple, three. I got it pretty good, right? Yeah, no, good. I think you, you all, I like the lies that you, you told. They I made prefer us the lies. I try to enhance yeah. the truth. Yes, That's okay. I That's what we do lies. these days. Yeah. yeah. We enhance the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for the good. For the good of, of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So we just walked down the hallway. We were up doing a session for you. D yes, ben. yes. Well, actually, my producer uh, over here arranged this uh, session. Mm -hmm. Now now that I'm a senior... Uh, emeritus. Are you emeritus. a senior now? I'm a, I'm a senior guy, yeah. I okay. got bus passes and everything. Uh, <laughs> Cheap movie tickets. <laughs> whatever you... <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I would totally go there. Oh, yeah. It's a Get good the thing. discount. It's a good thing. So, Get the discount. Uh, he's now telling me what to do and when to do it. It's very nice. Do you listen? Yeah, because I got no ideas myself. I don't oh, have a better idea. It's, it's perfect. Truth, it's I don't believe that. Not true. Does he listen? He, do, he I, does actually, listen. I, let me answer yeah. that for you. I watched it, the whole camaraderie yeah, what did thing happen today. Not to turn it on you this quickly in the event here, but what did you think? Because I, we don't know what it's like to watch us do what because we do. Because we have a similar yes. thing with the musical family. You, yes. You're working with your father, me yeah. working with my mom and yes. my siblings, just to sit and watch how that came together. And how you guys interacted was so, first of all, natural, organic, but respectful. Because mm -hmm. you don't want to step on his toes, and you don't want to step on his toes. Mm -hmm. But there was an agreement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it didn't take any time. It was like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating to watch that. Well, it is, you know, what we did today is pretty typical. We came in with a half a song. 
and yeah. you know, somewhat uh, of an arrangement, yeah, kind of idea. You right. walked in, you played guitar on it, and so you were there as it sort of came together. And yeah, and I was just telling it. We were speaking off of yeah. uh, Mike, and I was saying, you, you didn't, no one even had to tell me what to do. I got a little scared. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, no, don't play that. No, you never said that. But no. isn't that in your experience? Uh, so typical that if people have to tell you too much, then one of you is, if somebody's telling you a lot, then one of you is the wrong person in the room. <laughs> well, true. You know what I mean? His, unless they're your brother. Yes. My brother won't yes. have the... Sure. You know what, though? And I appreciate it when he does. He's like, if I pl- I'll go yeah. through a first song and I'll play too much. Yeah. And he'll be like, I'm glad you got that out of your mm-hmm. system. <laughs> so well, I see, think but- about, I hear his voice in my head. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know what I'm going to play. See, but I think what's going on here is that families that work together know how to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not always simple and direct. It's a lot of times it's a roundabout, but it's a way of uh, being uh, uh, mutual, a camaraderie, a, a feeling that you generate that gets you all where you need to go. It's right. not necessarily specific. You play this, you play that. Right. But, you know, like... Uh, well, in your family, I mean, uh, your your big brother, Bill, uh, the best advice he ever gave me, and I'm sure he gave you the same advice, was uh, play the stuff that got you thrown out of school. I thought that was... <laughs> Get out of your own way. Yeah, yeah. just I always thought... That's I mean, that's advice. a challenge. The first thing you have to do is get yourself thrown out of school. Well, you have to go back <laughs> to that. You have to go back to that, you know. Some of us didn't get that far. Don't worry about wrong and right. Right. That's what that's he's true. saying. Yeah. You guys are also in town doing a couple of gigs. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah. Right. We're playing. Yeah, we're playing at Crooners this year. We've been coming every summer. Yep. Uh, and playing in Minneapolis. The last couple of years, we've been playing in Crooners. The venue changes, but I think one thing that is pretty typical of what we do is we start to get into these little routines. You talk about Ben is touring constantly, but he's also a little bit of a creature of habit, and we we have set up these kind of traditions in our musical life. Right. You know, we go to Europe every November. Well, that, I, that's, I was going to ask you about that because mm. I'm, I'm doing my very best to emulate that. I'm yes, like, you want to go he's there. He's got it figured out. Yes. He's got it figured out. And you keep going back and they love you more and you stay longer and you bring your loved ones with you. I, and it, the hang continues it, over there. It was intentional. This was like 25 years ago. I realized yeah. that if you're going to do it over there, you have to go back five, six mm-hmm. times minimum just to establish. So I started doing it. I was going and going. And then after a while, they said, oh, it's uh, November. Ben's coming back. Mm-hmm. Right. So I became part Hope of the it's calendar. it's Ben time. It's Ben time. No, it yeah. really is. I mean, almost to the extent that people say sometimes, you know, uh, we expect you in November. You know, we've thought maybe sure. May would be good because yeah. the weather's a little better yeah. in May, you know, and people say, well, no, the club, clubs where we play in Spain and in France, they kind of expect us and they block out the time for us in November. And so May, we might not be able to fit in our, you know, usual month-long tour if we tried to go in May. They kind right. of wait for us. Yeah, now. they expect that in yeah. the fall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we'll get into this as yeah. the podcast goes, yeah. but you two have been gigging for how long with each other? Well, it's hard to put a, a proper start date on it, but I mean, when I finished college, I'm 42 now, so 20 years ago when I finished college, right. I did my first real tour with Ben. We did like a month or something. So I always think that's kind of when we okay. really started So that's doing the it. marker, you getting out of college. But even mm-hmm. before that, you know, I was doing, we were doing a lot of gigs together in Madison where he, Ben lives still and where I grew right. up and went to college. So we we started playing though- 
you know, jamming, we would call it. Get together yeah. and jam when I was, I don't know, 10 or something. Mm -hmm. Well, and that takes me to this. We've known each other a very long time. I don't think the listeners necessarily know that. How but, could they know that? Oh, man. Right. I've known We've you We've known each other. I've, I've known you for uh, 40 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ever, now, you were... You, 78. Did Billy find you or did you find Billy? Uh, Billy is my brother, everybody, in case I, you don't know uh, I met uh, your, big your big brother, Billy, in 1978. And uh, uh, David uh, Rivkin ah, yes. brought us together. And uh, with natural, he brought me together with Natural Life, so which was Billy's band, so that I could right. meet these cats. And, and they were just burning back. Oh, there, it was just oh. unbelievable. And so we started working, but it was really in '85. I met you in '85. You may not remember this, but uh, there was uh, a scene over at Billy's house okay. where you were doing some drum pro, Lynn drum programming oh, for boy. me. In That's 85. what I did back in those days. Yep, you did, yeah. and we used it on the record. It was fantastic. For, you were for a kid. your record, for my record, you were a kid, and, and we used your drum programming on on the record. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. And the kid, I've known you. I, I call you kid. That's not his name. His yeah. name is Leo, and they sound exactly alike, by the way. You'll when never know which one is talking. Yes. When I was listening to your, your podcast yes. that you have on a third it's hard. story, I'm like, I've known these guys their entire life, well, your yes. entire life. I can't pick you apart, and, except for the storytelling. Yeah. You know, that's where yeah. it comes into play. But the voice, you know, it is hard to. I, I, I all, often threaten Ben that I'm going to call the bank and say, it's Ben Sidron, I'd like to make a withdrawal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See if they if they question me. Yeah, I mean, Paul, you know, again, I, as you know, I've interviewed you, and my yep. early memory of you is your first solo record, sure. which I just went to school so deep on. And that's why... At 42, I can finally say we did a session today. And, and we did. And, I and you're did, saying it's the first time we've done that. Well, we've worked together on things, overdub right, and right, stuff. Right, right, But I don't think we ever did a like just sit in a room and play. And what's great is it felt so natural. I mean, I had to almost go back and just tell my uh, 16-year-old self, you know, one day <laughs> you're going to do a session with Paul and it's not even going to feel like anything. It's just going to mm. feel like the most natural thing in the world. Because, I mean, I, I was such a fan of yours. You know? That's so funny. And I sure remember hanging out with yeah. you back in those days. We cut that record, that first record, right here at Creation yes. Audio. Yes, yeah. Steve Weiss and my brother Ricky and yes. so many other people. A lot it's of, just crazy. I made a lot of great records here. Some of my favorite records that I made were made in this room, in the, the room in the front. Yeah, I mean, this space has so much history. I mean, yeah. my mom and dad recording yeah. here. Yeah. Bruce yeah. Wadeen. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, there's a, I have a feeling right now in this particular building... And I have a feeling this is what it felt like when you first started working here in the 80s when Steve Weiss was just getting his room set up here. And that there's energy and there's momentum uh, and there's like a, you know, creative work that kind of um, – that kind of starts to snowball. People want to be in the building. Mm -hmm. Something's going on in one room That's and then another like. room. And, yeah. you know, and I feel that in here now. And you, oh, yeah. it, it's like when you come into a space like that from the outside, it's palpable. Mm. You know, something's going on. Well, it's kind of fun. It's not a competition, but yeah. it's a, yeah. what are you doing? What time did yeah. you get in today? Yeah. John's yeah. like, hmm, you're in early today. I oh. like that. Mm -hmm. he, well, it he is kind of a... pushes the buttons, you yes. know? That's healthy competition. That is <laughs> totally competition. That's... Is. that's that's the way it's supposed to be, man. In a sense, that that is 
the difference between the father-son dynamic and the brother dynamic. Like, you know, I always thought oh. when you look at these family musical families where you've got siblings, there's there's a more natural competition. When it's with parents, it's not a competitive a parent and a child like Ben and I right. have. It's not competitive. Now, I do think we've worked together so long that we have started to influence one another. I mean, the mm. most of my life, I would say I was just heavily influenced by Ben. You talk about hearing your brother's voice oh, in sure. your ear. I had Ben's voice in my oh. ear all the time. And I love that though. Yeah. Oh, of course. That's I mean, so about the hang, yeah. as we say. Yeah. Well, this is exactly right. It is about that. And the ability to play with your family yeah. is really a special thing. I mean, it's it's never what it appears to be. It's always, you know, in the spaces. It's in the relationship. It's in yeah. the thing between people. It's not what's said so often. Is what doesn't have to be said. Right. What goes unsaid mm -hmm. and the feeling of being in a room with people. Um, so we refer to that as the hang. Where the hang is everything, but it really is. Yeah. Uh, it it totally colors everything that happens musically that uh, if you want to be there with somebody and if you're willing to be in that room with somebody and surrender your role okay i'm not the parent anymore okay i'm not the big brother anymore right. we're just the two of us together a lot of magic can happen you have to be willing to get in that space and just uh, you know go for it with yeah i, I think what you said leo is yeah. really true the difference uh, the re yeah. in the relationship between parent and child the, yeah. other than brother and brother or yeah. brother and sister exactly it's it's kind of a nurturing and a mutual respect which i saw yeah today i mean look i did thousands of gigs with my mom yes she just threw me to the wolves yes then you threw him to the wolves from I, from the very very beginning absolutely when he was 14 i think there's this great bebop saxophone player named frank morgan who uh, was, at the time, he had just gotten out of prison. He was living in Milwaukee. This is a guy who was, like, really right out of Charlie Parker, mm. man. And he came, and he was hanging out in Madison, and we played a gig together. And the bass player was this guy, Richard Davis, who's super historic bass player, <laughs> and me, and Frank Morgan, who was, like, a hero to beboppers, and the kid on drums. Yeah. And it was wonderful because it was totally throwing a 14-year-old kid to oh, the wolves. See, again, I like the way... I'm, I'm not going to dispute the story. What's that? I will say 14 may not be the exact age, but 15? it was... Young. Sounds, I mean, it it sounds be good 16. on a, I think it was probably 16. Yeah, okay. I okay. think 14, 14 is a sounds little... Better. Let's, let's just go let's with go four. <laughs> seven, seven years old, I was doing a gig with Six Frank years Corner. old, he was playing... Yeah, enhanced the truth. I was playing long solos, I remember. I was seven and a half years old. No, I mean, I, I was young. The truth was I was thrown to the wolves, and everybody accepted it. I mean, maybe you felt this way too, but... I had to get out of my own head, and I don't know if you you felt this way. I, it took me a long time to get mm. out of my own head because I thought I was thrown in there before I was ready. I mean, I was. I wasn't ready, but I was given a chance to perform uh, and play and hang with people because I, you know, I came through the door with you. And but the truth is that I didn't get any vibe from anybody almost ever that I can remember because I was young or the kid. Well, that's or, because of. I I'm going to interrupt yeah. you because here's why I think. Yeah. Because of your natural God-given talent and 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 the respect for your father, that's a trickle down. If Ben yeah. says he's cool, he's cool, and, and give the kid a shot. And I'll tell you something else. I think because I recognize this now also that 
we see when somebody's got, they called it the curse, right? When you oh, see yes. a kid who's got the curse, maybe there's talent. I'm, I don't know what to make of talent sometimes. What, what I do know about is passion or, or like love, desire, you know? Because right. I think I had desire. I know I had desire. I, I didn't. Boy, know. did you ever. And yeah. You still do. So that's the thing that I think people would see. Yeah. You see a young kid with the desire. Right. Of course, you're going to open the door for that kid and try to nurture that thing. Yeah, because you, know? you wanted it so bad, man. I remember that clear as a bell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is Leo. This is my son. Yeah. He was like asking me a million <laughs> yeah, questions. Exactly. And I, oh, he's got it. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Well, and uh, you would never throw somebody to the wolves that they weren't ready for it. It could do you damage. Knew. You must mm. have known. Yeah, oh, no, I knew he could do it. And the the reason I knew it was because when he played, it felt good. It's not that he had all these chops. He never had all these chops. It just felt good. And, you know, in the end, that's all you really need. You need to feel good up there. And if you feel good, magic can happen. Nobody goes away from a gig going, well, did you hear that guy's triplets? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they don't. They right. don't. And, and so I felt good playing with him. I knew other people felt good playing. So that's it. That's the whole thing. And there's no age limit on that, you know. And you can get guys who have been practicing and they're 50 years old. They might not feel good, you know. Right. So, they might have the best chops in the best world. Best chops be like, in the world. Oh, no. No. So, you know, throwing them to the wolves is just yeah. sort of uh, – it, it's sort of like uh, what uh, primitive tribes used to do with young men at an mm. early age, right? True. They'd literally put them in a, a situation where they had to go out survive somewhere yeah. to come back, and then they knew they could do it. But the other thing is, you know, and, and the reference to tribes I think makes sense and, and is, is connected to this, is that it's because you're nurturing another generation for the community, you know, to keep the music going, to keep Isn't this tradition going. Isn't that the truth? Because you believe in it and you— it's important. And we need an, We need more. We're going to need more. You know, oh, it's man. like you're replacing yourself. You're grooming yeah. the next the next group. So yeah. you're you're at home. He's you know you're in Madison. Mm. What is it, you have a drum set downstairs? You just start playing with him, or how did that uh, all? It was in the attic. No, yeah, it was in the attic uh, when he was uh, thirteen. Well, he had been hanging out with you and and mm-hmm. the people here at Creation right. Audio and everybody Paisley Park, mm-hmm. and uh, so he wanted uh, to have gear at home. So the first thing he did is he got a DX7 and then he got a, a multi-track cassette player and he started building a little studio. And then right. I had a little uh, XB2 uh, organ uh, synthesizer okay. kind kind of a deal, and he had a drum kit up there, and so. At some point, we just started playing together organ and drums, which is natural, oh, right? Cool. I was yeah. playing bass. So you're playing stuff. left hand. I'm yeah. playing left hand bass, playing organ, playing drums, and we got a pocket going. Yeah, that's man. what we were doing. Yeah. How and, great is that? And yeah. we would just go up there, and it would feel so good. And we would play stuff that we literally didn't know. We just go up there and start playing. You know, where playing is just like from the nub. You don't even yeah. talk about the. Change and what's or Judy anything. saying at this point in time? She's happy that we're up there. Yeah. You know, she's, she's like, she doesn't ah. know what's going on. She doesn't care. Right. Yeah, they're up there. Yeah, right. right. And, and the other thing is that Leo uh, loved building out his recording studio. So he did this year by year by year. Um, and we talk about this, how it's such a blessing for a young person to fall in love with something, mm-hmm. to have something that they want and they love and they care about. But how cool that it was happened to be the same thing that you were passionate about. It could have been... Trains. Could, it sure, could have been. Could, could have been anything. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. But to be able to share that as father and son is is unbelievable. It really is. So uh, there's one more thing that I have to relate to you in terms of our relationship, and that is when Leo was 15 or 16, let's say, uh, when we did that Frank Morgan gig around that same period. Mm-hmm. 
this was in the 90s, I guess it would have mm -hmm. been. And Early I was 90s. doing all that record production, right? And I was yeah. spending all the time in the studio. And I, it was a struggle to go out and play gigs because, you know, to play a gig, you got to book it, you got to get the band together. If you're producing, it's hard. So I was starting to think maybe I would stop playing gigs because I, I was spending all my time in the studio and I was digging it. And I yeah. played gigs for 40 years by then, man. Right. I mean, I played every venue I needed to play. And I was honestly thinking about, you know, maybe, because the cats, I, I had uh, Billy and Gordy all tucked in with Miller, right? Oh, they had yeah. that gig. I didn't have to worry about them anymore, I thought, maybe. And just then, Leo started saying, man, let's go out and play gigs. And because Leo wanted to go out and play gigs, I said, okay, let's go play gigs. And to this day, I am grateful. I'm out here, uh, what is that, 25 years later, playing gigs because because of leo i because I, he said dad come on let's go play yeah fascinating man yeah. it's unbelievable well let's go back a little bit no. yes you still live in madison yeah oh, yeah you could have moved anywhere right why'd yeah. you stay in madison family reasons see yeah family reasons it was a decision it was clearly a decision we lived in la before we lived in madison uh, Judy and I uh, lived there. Uh, we lived in North Hollywood. Right. Uh, I was playing sessions uh, with rock and rollers. Yeah. Rock and roll guys. Uh, I had just uh, produced a record for Capitol Records, and they were offering me a staff producer's job. Back then, they had staff producers. Sure. And I thought, well, this would be really cool. And I came home and told Judy how, well, the exciting news. And yeah. she said, I don't like it here. I hate it. I don't like <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and can you imagine? Yeah. What was going through your head? What do you must be going, wait a minute. This wait, is the greatest opportunity in my life. But what actually was going through my head, and yeah. it's, to this day, you know, it's, it was without thought. My, what was going through my head is, well, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'd be more than happy to do whatever you want. I was so into the relationship with my wife mm -hmm. that that's what really was making me happy. So when she said she didn't like Los Angeles and she wanted to go back to Madison where we met, I just went. And when I got back to Madison, I just invented the life I needed to have in order to keep playing music and to have a family. And I love what you just said because that's one of my next questions. How many plates can Ben Sidron mm. keep spinning <laughs> at the same time? And but here's the thing: do it immaculately, mm -hmm. incredibly, and 150 percent with uh, accuracy and heart. <laughs> and so, I mean, you've been a curator of talent. You have done radio, television. You've changed people's lives by hooking them up with different gigs. Me being one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this, I mean, that must make you feel incredibly, uh, I don't know what the word would be, but happy maybe <laughs> is the word, because you see your friends and you place them in these different situations and you just sit back and, and watch. I mean, look at Ricky. Yeah. What you've done for Ricky, what you've done for Billy, what you've done mm -hmm. for me, and hundreds of mm -hmm. people, I'm sure, that I don't know. You know, uh, How does that make you feel? And not only in music, you know, there's people in media, for example. There are people right. who work in public radio who say, oh, you know, uh, your dad hooked me up with this job in D.C., and now I'm the program director of XYZ. You know, I well, mean, it's he, all over the place. He's a Ph.D., but I call him Dr. Hookup for, yeah. for yeah. that. <laughs> but you are, and you didn't have to do that for anybody. Well, uh, we were talking, Leo and I were talking recently about the fact that it actually does make you feel better mm. to give than to receive. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact of life. You feel better when you give something than when you take something. And 
I've never been threatened by anybody else's success. Mm. I enjoy being in a room with people who are having fun. I mean, that's yeah. what I love. I love the hang. The reason right. we spend time together and, and yeah. all these things is because it feels good. I like, you know, I've had people pass this on to me where um, you, you don't open a door in return for a door that's going to be open for you. You open the door because. You owe me one. Yeah. It's because <laughs> the air comes in and it's healthy for that's everybody. Right. And you feel good. And, and there's enough for everybody. And there, that's, you know, that's a secret. Yeah. It's not a finite pie. And if mm, you get yours, it doesn't mean I'm not going to get mine. The more, the merrier. The, the more good feeling that's yeah. out here, the more good feeling will be generated. Mm. And um, I've just been lucky because I've been interested in all these different things. I've been interested in media. I've been interested. But the bottom line. Yeah is I'm interested in musicians. I love being with musicians. I always have. And that was part of Leo's curse. He loves being around musical people. Mm. There's something about musical people yeah. uh, that can be very um, medicinal. It can be very uh, healing to be around musical people. Well, that's what it's all about. Music is the healer. And by the way, the fact that you would hook different people up, I see it happening with them returning the favor and paying it forward. Mm -hmm. I do it because I, you set an example. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. But that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to go, here, it's your turn, and yeah. it's my greatest honor to be able to do that for other folks. Yeah. It's so cool. So you have always done projects surrounded by music, whether it's uh, radio, television, writing your books, different things like that. Is there a particular project that stands out for you as being your favorite? Boy, uh, well, I can tell you that all the various projects are in some ways just at the core the same. They're about the, the life. They're about the music life. And whether yeah. we're like we did today, we went in there and I had this kernel of an idea for a song right. based on, you know, uh, democracy really is what that song was about. Um, or uh, it's, you know, meeting a saxophone player and saying, you know, uh, what a wonderful human being i'd like to know him better or something it's all about uh living the life so i say that what i do is all a form of journalism that even if i'm writing a song or playing a gig i'm basically just expressing what it feels like so the, my favorite gigs mm. are gigs that uh i can walk away from saying you know uh i didn't uh, i didn't leave anything behind mm. uh the, the most noteworthy interview I did was with Miles Davis. Yeah, I mean, that I interview that. that interview has been reformatted dozens and dozens of times. People take from that all the time. Mm -hmm. And that happened because of my friend Tommy LaPuma. Oh, is that right? It, it, it's like exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Tommy opened doors for me like I've opened doors for other people. Right. And Tommy has been a friend of mine, was a friend of mine from the early 70s. And when I was doing a radio show and interviewing people, right. uh, I said to Tommy, "Is it? you, you think there's any chance I can talk to Miles? Tommy said, sure, no problem. So you asked. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Make, it's Billy, make him say no, right? Make him say no. What's the worst that can happen? They say no. Yeah, sure. They say no. And, oh, yeah. But they said yes. And what he said is, oh, Miles is great. You know, Miles gets a bad rap. People say Miles is tough. He's not tough. He just doesn't like bullshit. Mm -hmm. And if you come at him, you know, with bullshit, you won't last a second. He said, but you're mm -hmm. not going to have any problem. Sure, no problem. 
And it was fantastic, man. I went out to to Miles's house in Malibu with Tommy. Tommy came oh, out there with me. Is that right? Yeah. Tommy's in total. And I have to tell you something. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you the story, but then there's a kicker. So we go out there, we knock on the door, door opens, there's Miles, man. And Miles, you know, his skin was like burnished. He was a little guy yeah. and he had no fat on him. And his skin was burnished. And I had this impression that it was burnished from all the attention mm. he had gotten from other people staring at him. It was like polished. Yeah. Polished. Yeah. 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 So anyway, he gave Tommy a hug, and then he gave me a hug. And then he said, come on in. Really? Yeah. And then he made lunch. He cooked lunch. He took mm. us through his house. He, uh, we, and then at one point, a couple hours into it, he said, so, so you want to interview me, huh? I said, yeah, Miles, I do. He said, okay, man, let's go. And we sat down and we talked, and it was just sweet. It was sweet. You know, there was no... It was what Tommy said. You know, if you just show up and be yourself, that was the message of Miles. But here's the kicker I want to tell you. On the way home from Miles' house in Malibu, right. we stopped at Pat Raines' house, I who lived that, down, yeah. down the street. And we sat there, and Pat was on the phone with Dave Sanborn, and Dave Sanborn needed a keyboard player. And I got on the phone with David that same night, and I said, I know your keyboard player, man. His name is Ricky Peterson. I know who your that keyboard player is. That was the same night as the Miles, Miles interview. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah. It was coming coming back from Miles' house. We stopped at Pat's place. And uh, I don't know, you know, a month later, Ricky was playing with David. God, that's unbelievable. So you created your whole life in Madison. You, everything that you've done. From Madison. From Madison, yeah. From I almost, Madison. Yeah. And you would branch out from there. I would almost never work in Madison. I would, Interesting. I would keep it as my home. I would keep it as I'm a parent, I'm a neighbor, I'm a regular guy. Because when and, and Leo experienced this a lot. When you're in a place like Madison, you know the, the local people can't really grasp what your life is like. And right. it'd be a mistake to try to right. force it. But, I mean, it should be said also that Madison is a super hip town. Hmm. It's a progressive town. It's a university town. It's right. filled with very interesting people it just there's no real music business right. you know so there is there are very few people there who really could would know what to make of if ben came back from a tour or a recording date or whatever and, and said this is where i was and this is what they, they wouldn't know who those people were or what <laughs> oh, they you that's know. nice ben yeah yeah so right <laughs> well but you don't talk about it you have a right. life there and some people kind of knew, but not, but not really. You were kinda... there. There was a period of uh, forty years where <laughs> I was gone for twenty of them. Okay, Woo. I mean I was on the road half the time. Okay, and so going home was wonderful. I so, loved going let, home. Th th since this podcast is primarily geared, well, of course, towards yes. music yes. and the hang, but yeah. it's geared towards health. Not yes. only uh, how you stay in shape while you're on the road, mm -hmm. but in this case, we can talk a little bit about the health of your family and your relationships and things like that. How did you navigate through 20 years of being gone and raising mm -hmm. a son? How do you do that? I mean, people don't know this yeah. out there. And uh, obviously you've done a very good job. You know, uh, the kid turned out pretty damn good there. Well, um, I, I would like to hear what he thinks of that. I mean, I have some memories, but yeah. what did it look like to you? Well, you know, my first thought now, and maybe I wouldn't have thought in these terms at the time, but looking back on it, I, I don't think that we could speak to this without talking about my mom. Because if 
20 of 40 years, or let's say 10 of the 20 mm-hmm. that I was growing up, Ben was gone. That's, and I'm an only child. Yep. That's half of my life I spent with my mom. True. And the kind of support that came from her around what Ben did and around my nutso journey also, because it was totally atypical of me to want to be in that world also. Right. I mean, there was nobody around her who knew what to make of what I was into. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I do think that one of the extraordinary things about our family and the success of it is that people were very supportive of one another. You know, I hope that she, and I think she, my mom, Judy, felt supported also in stuff that she was interested in and, and she was able to build a very rich life. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people joke, oh, Ben must be so famous in Madison, he could run for mayor. No, Judy's the one who could run for mayor. <laughs> I mean, she's so hooked up in Madison. Right. But she held it down all those years while Ben came and went. So I think that that's really a crucial aspect of it. And and I even feel it in my life now, like... With Amanda. With Amanda, with right. my wife, where we are set up in a similar way, but a little bit different. I mean, I don't have to leave town to work. I live in Brooklyn and New York, so there's right. a lot of opportunity there. I don't have to get on a plane to... With the exception of when you tour as an artist. Exactly. But it's not... I don't have... I don't. Ha- First of all, to tour as an artist is a privilege, as we know, and mm-hmm. I could certainly make a living without doing that. I mean, that, that's a thing that, I, that I'm doing because right. it's meaningful to me. But, but the point is that I don't have to be gone half the time. You know, if I were a bebop drummer only, then probably yeah. I would. But, right. you know... Um, but Ben did have to leave town to make a living, you know. So he he had to be set up in a way where he could say to Judy and to me, like, I'm this is what I'm doing. I'm gonna be gone. You know, there was no I think general conversation about it. It was understood. Yeah. This is gonna happen. Um what's weird is I don't have a memory of Ben being gone. And when? Ben for the win, but really that's that's but, but, all about it. Well, but that's, I don't, I can't. Yeah, what do you think that means? No, what, what what that is is that the family unit was very very important, obviously, and right. we would travel a lot together. Yeah. So he would come out with uh, Judy and Leo uh, would come sure. out with me on gigs because I wasn't a side man, so I could do it. If I was yeah. a side man, you couldn't do it. That's but I would sure, go yeah. to Japan for two weeks and I would take Judy and Leo and they would be part of it. And Judy eventually became a travel agent mm-hmm. because she just loved traveling. And, and so yeah. the idea was how do you create an environment where everybody gets to win? Hmm. That's, that's the main thing. How right. do you, as he said, uh, Judy was able to put together the life she wanted. She, you know, she doesn't want to hang out with us musicians all the time. Right. She, you know, she has her she friends. She had her own thing going on. She had her own thing. So you're a very independent woman, but yes. she understood the family No, in, in fact, yeah. we used to joke that, you know, the success of the marriage was in some part due to the fact that they weren't together all yeah. the time. You know? she, 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 I was gone, you know, how very can I true. miss you if you don't go away? <laughs> <laughs> was the joke. But the importance is that everybody uh, gets something. Everybody gives something. Everybody respects everybody right. that you recognize. And certainly in terms of Leo as, as a child, um, he was, uh, as you know with your own children, he was an equal player in the family unit from the mm. beginning, mm. right? You didn't say, well, you're small when you're 18, I'll deal with you. You right. deal with people straight out as they are. You treat them seriously. You listen to them when they talk. And subsequently, right. they start to take ownership in what the family dynamic is about. And it turns out 
that family and friends are the biggest keys to health that mm. there are. Ah, more important. There it is. More important than diet. There it is. More important than exercise, even though diet and exercise are very important. Mm-hmm. They, the statistics says family and friends are the mm. most important things for That'll longevity. Keep your blood pressure down if you mm-hmm. got. It really will. It really if will. You know you're covered yeah. at home, and you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. your kids, mm-hmm. your relationship, and you have that understanding. Mm-hmm. I can see where that would be absolutely true. I mean, the health of a family, for me, has been critical. Yeah. I couldn't do what I do to 20,000 things like yeah. you do. No, I mean, right. I'm trying to take after you so bad, man. <laughs> I've got so many plates spinning, and I just hope that yeah. I can keep them all up like you do. But yeah. I want to say something about the spinning plates, too, that's been a little bit of an observation. that, I, that Because I, like you, am you know, tr- trying to keep up with Ben and figure out how he did that and constantly right. asking myself, how did he, you right. know, on the car over here today, I said, man, 1986, which is funny that we're talking about the Miles interview because 86. recently I went through and found a bunch of stuff that he did in 1986. And I'm going, that's a lot to have done to produce these television shows and to uh, produce these radio shows and the records that you made and the records that you produced in the touring. I mean, what well, a yeah. year. And I'm just talking about one particular year and yeah. uh, out of many. But looking back on it, one thing that I have noticed is that just in terms of time management, I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I'm a multitasking guy and I find sometimes that I can't figure out where to put my attention even for these mm-hmm. five minutes. Right. You know, and what I think, and I'd like to hear you speak to it, but what I think is that Ben did a lot of things but one at a time, meaning, you know, uh, you have focused in on focus one thing. on yeah. a thing, even if it's just for a day, and then the next day another thing. I never saw you as as having three telephones up to your ear at the same time. You know what I mean? How did you do that? Uh, well, I always found it helpful to have a bunch of things going on uh, because you know, you, for example, I'd be writing something, and I'd write, and I'd get jammed up. Well, that'd be great, man. I'd put it away, and I'd go to the piano. And I'd do something to the piano. And mm. then I'd be playing, and the phone would ring, and it would be some radio thing. And I'd do that. And so it was kind of this rolling horizon. It had this forward momentum mm-hmm. of its own, which I found helpful. You're right. Uh, I didn't find that a problem. And, you know, the, the other thing is... Um, I, I say the difference between being self-employed and unemployed is how you wake up in the morning. It's mm. an attitude, right? Because there is no difference on the surface. If you're self-employed, being unemployed is just a blink away, right? <laughs> and, that is so true. True, Right. Oh, and and so what happens is at some point, and it took a long time, you recognize that you are the asset. It's You're not fragmented. It's not, oh, a writer here, a musician there. No, it's you. You are you. The asset is intact. You walk into a room, mm. you walk into that room, and you bring all your experience you with everything you. That, yes. You bring it all with yeah. you. So it's not one thing working against each other. It's everything working, working. for you. Yeah, it all works. It works and together. This is good. This is great advice because some people would think that you're scattered. Mm-hmm. Not you, but someone like that would be scattered. What you said in the interview that you had with your father mm-hmm. is that it was well the real Ben Sidron yeah stand please, up yeah you know stand up and all those things make you you yes uniquely well, you and you are that asset okay so so here's the thing that makes it coherent and it's very simple and it goes back to what we were talking about you know paying forward and it's really about caring and that sounds corny but caring about things is everything. 
It's everything. Because if you truly care, your decisions will be good decisions. Mm. You'll make the right decisions. And right. every project is made up of hundreds of teeny, teeny little decisions. Mm -hmm. And any one of those little decisions could lead you astray mm -hmm. if you're not uh, pulled forward by caring, by mm. really wanting it to be good and, and having... so. For example, uh, and that's that attitude we talked about when you wake up in the morning, mm -hmm. whether it's we, I don't care, yeah, or bring it on. I'm here, I'm here, right? I'm showing up. Well, you know, this is uh, Phil Woods said this to me. Phil was the great saxophone right. player, and I said to him, Phil, how does it feel to be able to play anything you can hear? And he said, Well, playing's no problem. The problem as you get older is wanting to play because you desire when you're young is everything you really want. Mm -hmm. But as you get older, it's harder. And so it's the what he said was the desire for desire. You you start to 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 want to feel like you did when you were young, and it's hard. And you have to reach deeper as you get older to feel that it's important. Mm. And so that's the trick, man. And the trick is to stay coherent, yeah. stay healthy, right. keep your relationships intact because you're going to need it as you get older. It's not going to be easier. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, let's take a quick break because I want to talk to you about a couple different things. First of all, go over to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. That again is www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And that is where you can partner with us and financially support all the good things we're doing here on Music on the Run. Of course, there's a lot of incentives for you as well. Number one, you get a lot of behind the scenes footage pictures and maybe even some merch i'm sure you can understand it takes a lot to put on these podcasts and we love doing them but it always costs money and we would love to partner with you so go over to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and we'd love to have you as our partner the other thing i wanted to talk to you about is the company electro voice electro voice is a company based here in minneapolis minnesota and they specialize in pa speakers and of course, microphones. They've uh, taken good care of us for many, many years. Uh, prior to me starting Music on the Run podcast, uh, I've endorsed them for a very long time. And I'm actually speaking into one of their mics right now that is a staple in the radio business called an RE320. You know, what's funny is that I actually use this mic a lot on hi-hats and bass cabinets. And it's so versatile. And it's just one of the many, many super high-quality professional microphones that Electrovoice has to offer. Go check them out. You can find them at your favorite music store or just go online at electrovoice.com. Hey, let's get back to that conversation on Music on the Run. Well, you also said something in that interview about Phil Woods mm -hmm. and his regrets. Yes, well, that's true. Tell these guys what, what Phil mm -hmm. said. Because you interviewed him shortly before he died. Did yeah, you yeah. Phil uh, w was uh, very r regretful that he was not a better parent. He he felt that he did not do right by his his children. And because of his chase, for, because of the yeah, chase for because he was involved. Yeah, he was uh, whatever that he means. was on the road. Right. He was on the road, and he didn't uh, become engaged. And you know, uh, being on the road works as long as it works and then it doesn't work and then there you are man you're out 400 miles from home on a bus yeah and he found himself out there a bunch of times right and just getting home was a struggle so to be a parent was a bridge too far often and so he he felt very badly about that because frankly 
that's one of the few things you can't undo. You can't repair uh, personal relationships the way right. you can, you know, fix a gig that's gone bad. Well, I'll make it up. I'll come back. I'll play right. for free. I'll do something, you right. know? Right. I mean, again, you know, it's like the, the key decision in my life was saying to Judy when she hated LA, okay, what do you want? That's Once, huge. And that couldn't have been easy. It or was, was it? It was. Really? Oh, it absolutely was. Well, that's how you're wired, though. Too. That is how he's wired. I see this is the other thing that I think, and we've been talking about this a lot. I don't know if I, we put it in the podcast or not, the one that you and I did recently. But I also think that Ben's story, as inspirational as it is, is very specific to him because of how he's wired. And in fact, right. we, I always heard the story until recently as... Ben chose to be in Madison and then invented something around it. But the fact is, he's wired for that. I mean, mm -hmm. he he's a totally independent-minded, totally independent, self-motivated cat. He didn't really fit into any of the boxes anyway that they were going to try to put him in in L.A. or New York. He, you know what I mean? He, right. This is a guy. It was with a, Ben's world. It was Ben's world, and so Madison still is a, Ben's world, by and, the way. And this is, <laughs> and we're all living in it. But but I mean, and glad to be living in it. But Just, the, but that's the thing is that to be in a space like Madison that was already so off the map of, of what a career would look like gave him a lot of freedom to define his space. Right. And I, I, that's, that's what I think about That's an interesting now. way to look at that. Well, and another thing that family does is it gives you a support system. Family and friends gives you a support system that, you know, times are going to be rough. When we talked about uh, having a child, mm -hmm. and I was saying uh, to Judy, I don't know. And I, I mean, because back then I had enough money in the bank for six weeks or something, and I right. didn't know what was going to be after that. Yeah. Right. And, and Judy said, you know what? If we eat crackers, the kid will eat crackers. Don't right. worry about You're it. You're never ready, really. You're never, You're ready. never ready. And, yeah. and so. That's the other part of it. You know, having a support system can give you the courage to do what you need to do when you need to do it. That's a whole deal. It's not so much what you do sometimes, but when you do it. And those, those moments are key. And, you know, time is passing. And so I was just very lucky to have made some right decisions. And also, let's face it. Back then, it was not as hard to make a living mm -hmm. as it is today. Today, Ooh. it's so expensive. I mean, it is. I'm, we're talking about a time when I had a mortgage payment of $120 a month, man. Well, well let's well, talk about the, how you monetize uh, the business that we're in. That has changed so dramatically as well. Yeah. I don't think it. Well, Leo can. Uh, I don't know anymore. The business that I knew, the business I grew up in is gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's gone just like if I was a blacksmith and mm -hmm. here comes Henry Ford, right? Right. Here come automobiles, and I'm sitting there making horseshoes. My, the business I knew is gone. Yeah. So I, I don't but know. But what I see now, in, in fact, this is a great transition, because as we, as kid grows up, goes to Spain and hangs out, and he's you know experiences all these wonderful genres of music mm -hmm. that I'm sure you helped expose him to, but you were living in it. Yeah. Then you... you, you uh, you start writing these songs, yeah. and you're still living in Madison, and you write this song and get yeah. nominated for an Academy Award. Is that right? Were you in? I pr I did not write. I produced, you produced the song right. that won the Academy Award in Jeez. 2005. But you, and you know, there's a I mean, there's a whole there's a long version of the story, there's a short version of the story. But but I will say this: I started going to Spain, and I think 
I started going in high school. Okay. And, in, yeah. and I ended up doing a year of college there and getting pretty deep into this scene of musicians and songwriters there. And in a way, I do think that it was my attempt to find a space in music that I could define for myself because Ben didn't speak any Spanish. He didn't know anything about that music. Right. And, you know, even though the door had been open for me and, you know, all, you know, the people in Ben's world had, had welcomed me and I was playing with people and, you know, you guys were, so you and your brothers were so encouraging. I still sort of felt like, well, I need to find a little bit of space that's like belongs to me, you know? And I found right. in Spain, I spoke good very good Spanish. And I found this group of people who were as excited to meet an American kid as I was to meet them because, you know, these people had, weren't used to some American dude showing up and wanting to work with them and meet them. Right. And so one of the people I met is a good, has become a very good friend of ours, this guy, Jorge Drexler, who I was, mm. I was a huge fan of when I was in college in Spain. And it was one of these things where, you know, uh, I didn't know that he wasn't very famous. I thought he was like the most famous guy in Spain. It just turns out that I had found this cat when uh, most people didn't know who he was and I recognized something amazing about who he was. And today, fast forward 20 years, he's one of the most famous and wow. most uh, important Spanish language songwriters. He rent, you know, it's won the, the Oscar, Grammys. He plays to massive audiences all over South America, Latin America, and Spain. But at the time, yeah. I just was a fan. And we met him because after I started going to Spain, Ben came to visit, and we realized that uh, we could play in Spain together. I mean, in the first place, he hadn't ever really played there, so he had fans that were wondering, hmm. you know, where where you been? So we, and I also uh, was able to book gigs because I spoke Spanish and I kind of understood the the world. And so we we developed this tradition of of booking gigs in Spain. And early on, no way. So maybe even the maybe happened. the first tour that we did in Spain, we got a little booking agent. We played in some funny little towns and played in oh, the, the right. capital cities also. Hmm. We played out in this little town <laughs> outside of Madrid. Uh, it was like a, the a little municipal theater. I was joking about it the whole time because I was like, who is here that could possibly even understand <laughs> what we're doing? Ben's out there doing his rap. His I'm, ta I'm talking all my you crazy know, stuff. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know. Like, no difference to me. You imagine they just turn up the house lights and people are just like stunned. Wouldn't even know what to make of this thing that's happening. And But it turns out that one of these little towns that we played in was like the musician town outside of Madrid. And uh, all, it was filled with all the cats. All the cats were there. Right. Yeah. And so uh, a couple days later, we were down in Madrid, which is the capital of, of Spain, and, and um, hanging out at the bar at this jazz club where we were going to be playing. Uh, and this guy comes up to me and he says to me, are you Leo Sidrin? And I said, yeah, are you Jorge Drexler? And he said, yeah, this is the guy I was a huge fan of. Yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, I heard you play up in my town a couple nights ago. I really liked your what you guys did. And that's how we became friends. No kidding. So, and as with everything, especially at that time in my life, you know, the music and the family thing, they were so intertwined that basically Jorge and his family sort of became wrapped up in our family. And the next thing you know, they're spending mm. their summers in Madison no, on kidding. vacation. Yeah. God, that's fantastic. So, and, and, uh, and Ben, meanwhile, be, started to become like a real um, known quantity in Spain because we started going there more and more. And now he's right. you know definitely an established act in Spain because we go all the time. 
but it, so it really was one of these things of like anything that you speaking to what you you said anything that you care about right there's room for it that's what i hear in a career you know? yeah that's that's what i hear you know the bottom line in building a career yeah. is being yourself yeah. the only thing that you have to offer yeah. is who you are. If you try to be somebody else, by definition, you're second best. Somebody else is already better, right? It's very simple, but we lose sight of this because we're always comparing ourselves yeah. to other people. Oh man, that but is so our true. best shot, our best shot is to be ourselves, to care about what we care about, to be sincere all the way through it, to show up when you show up, show up like we right. did this morning to cut yeah. that thing. We yeah. had a good time. There was no problem. It was great. But everybody was in the room. Everybody showed yeah. up. Nobody was chucking and jiving and carrying right. on. Mm -hmm. So we were there to do a job and have uh, and have fun. Well, and that and so so here's the to me the jazz message. The jazz message is every time you put your horn in your mouth, whether yep. you're at a daycare center or you're at Carnegie Hall, mm -hmm. you have the same intention. The same right. caring, mm. because you don't know when something great's going to happen. That's right. So if you just, you know, uh, shock it for the moment and don't care, yeah. you could be missing uh, a branch in the road that could lead you somewhere wonderful. So this whole right. thing about, you know, be yourself, show up, care about what you care about, it's very simple. You hear it over and over again. But that is when I talk to musicians about what did Miles teach you? Mm -hmm. What did this guy yeah. teach you? That's what they all say, be yourself. And it raises this really interesting question about how to have a career. I mean, we, you, we're here now in our conversation because you started to say, well, how, how, do, you, or how do you get paid, you know? But, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's new. But, but it's what different than what we are used to and what we grew up with. Right. But yeah, But exactly it's also right. hard. So what, you, what I think is the challenge right now, maybe it was always a challenge, is to take the philosophy that Ben is espousing, mm -hmm. be yourself, take your shot, you know, and then also... Okay, but but like literally, like how do I how do I pay pay the rent? You know, and yeah. and everybody's got to find their version of that. There's there is no degree that you can get. There's no book that you can obviously. There's a book that you could read that'll tell you. Look, this is these are performing uh, performance rights organizations, right. and these exactly. are you know you got to get your sound exchange together and get you you know all, there's all that technical aspect mm -hmm. of it and people are debating you know you and I have been texting back and forth about podcasting sure platforms have. you know there's all of that but that doesn't really answer the question but how do you make a living showing up taking your best shot and I don't know well, that the, there is there's not a an way answer. there's not a way there's not a way everything is in process but you have guide let's let's say for example yeah. you're writing a commercial you have guidelines sure but, but people will come to you, or you'll you'll go after that. I'm thinking. Yes. I don't want to speak for you, yes. but I would think you would go. To, you'd read the the brief, yes, right. That would come in, and you sure. go, okay. And you're going to give them something that no one else but Leo Sidron can can give yeah, them. Yes and no. So but, is that a way to show up authentic, sure. authentically? That, that I mean, that's a that's a good that's a really good question. I mean, th that's a very specific thing because, as you know, I write music for TV commercials. But the the question of how to provide a, a good version of Leo Sidron when I read a commercial. That That's like a, that's a thing I think that everybody's got to find on their own. In the case of commercials, as you know, it's competitive. Yes. So that's why you're looking for an edge. I mean, there's an argument to be made that would say all music is competitive in the sense that you make music and you're trying to compete for space in the yeah. world for people to hear it. But in the case of writing commercials, it's literally like a contest. Like, 
uh, 10 people are going to write a commercial music for a, a commercial and one person's going to get selected right. and and the the ground can shift under you a hundred times while you're doing it and everybody's got their little tricks at the end of the day i don't actually know 15 years into doing it if i know any more today than i did when i started to me the question is not that it's this i'm on the road with my dad i get called to write a commercial i got my laptop with me right i no, I can't do my best work on the road because I don't have all the gear, all the right. stuff. But I also know if I say no too many times, they might not call me anymore. What What choice do I make in that situation? You work with what you got. You work with what you got and you show up and you be a guy who shows up. Yeah. That tends to be my answer. But on the other hand, sometimes I have to really look at the situation and say, I'm not in this. I'm not going to be proud of what I send. I don't want to send stuff that really I can't stand behind. You know, I mean, I don't have a hard and fast answer, but those are the kinds of struggles, the struggles huh? or yeah. questions that I ask economically right. in my life because my life is set up where part of it is I'm providing a service, music as right. service. That's my take my talent yeah. and I sell it. Yep. As we do. Service industry. And on the other hand, I have a part of my career that's kind of borrows more from the Ben philosophy of you know, you show up and be yourself always. And I mean, I, I am myself when I do the commercials too, but it, those are questions that I recognize in the sort of the, what I consider to be the sort of the new gig economy yes. of making a living in music today that maybe Ben wasn't thinking about when he was at the, the you know, at the, the, the top of his career, you know. In you know, part, part of what I'm hearing here is uh, people saying, uh, Yes, as opposed to no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, Paul, can you blah, blah, blah? Yes. Your first reaction is yes. <laughs> Even if you've never. <laughs> and then I have no idea. Then I got to figure yeah. it out. But well, there's a, you something to me, be learned there. You right. told me, I didn't even remember this, yes. that when I, was I put together the, the traveling band for Steve Miller oh, in 1989. That, that, you know, I had the band figured out I was going to be his music director and we yeah. needed a rhythm guitar player. And since your two brothers were in the band, I went to you and said, hey, Paul, can you play guitar? And you said yes. And then 25 years later, you confessed to me you didn't have any idea <laughs> if you could pull it off. <laughs> no, I was scared to death. Yeah. I'm like, well, let me go listen to some Steve Miller. Yeah. Right. And let me see if I can you said yes. Yeah. But yeah. you said yes. You yes. didn't hesitate to the point where I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't have any idea that you were scared. Oh, yeah. And similarly, I had an experience. Uh, I once played Carnegie Hall with, uh, the, it was a tribute to the jazz singer, Eddie Jefferson. And I was on stage with Manhattan Transfer and Bobby McFerrin and all these people. And I had a stand-up. I couldn't hide behind the piano. I had a stand-up and sing. And I never did it in my oh. life. I was terrified. Yeah. They asked me to do it. I said, yes, of course mm -hmm. I can do it. I yeah. had no idea if I was going to pull it off or not. Saying yes, man, But you know huge. what you did pull off at Carnegie Hall standing and singing? Hmm. You were Ben Sidron at Carnegie Hall singing. That's right. There was nobody else who could right. be Ben Sidron standing that's up right. there and singing. And, 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 and that's what we're talking about. Say yes, right? Throw yourself into situations yeah. that you don't know if that you're you ready for. In. And, and, you, and you will, as long, I, let me add this, as long as you show up and, and do your homework and oh, yeah. show up to the best of your ability. Yes. I may have said yes, but I can tell you how much time I put in mm -hmm. to make sure that I didn't make you look bad. That's right. Or my brothers look bad. 
Yeah. But yeah. don't you don't you think this is the, this is the, the other thing that I have experienced when somebody asks you to do something that you can't do. Or that you haven't done. That you haven't done. Not you that, that you can't do. That you, can't do. <laughs> that you right. haven't you done. You don't have the experience Thank you. quite yes. yet. That's right. But they believe that you can, by asking you to do it, they believe you can. Yeah. It makes you want to rise to the occasion. Sure. That's been my experience. Yeah. Whenever I've been asked to do something that's a challenge, I think, well, I don't know if I can pull that off. But this person seems to think I can, and I respect this person. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this person. I think maybe I can, though. It comes back to the relationship thing yes. again. Yeah. All yes. the way back to the... Were you ever worried that Leo mm. said, I'm going into the business? Mm. I, I never encouraged Leo to be in the business. I never did. And Leo never let me be the uh, mentor uh, to him when he was a kid. I couldn't show him anything on the piano. Mm. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He would say, oh, I know that. Or I don't want to, you know. But then he'd go to you or yeah. he'd go to uh, Ricky. Yeah. And you guys would show him. So uh, Just little tidbits, too. And then you'd go off on your own. And- but see, that's what it is. You Just have nuggets. To, yeah, nuggets, and you have to be self-motivated. You really have. This goes back to caring. You have to care about something. He cared about that enough. So when you showed him something, or somebody showed him mm-hmm. something, he would somehow incorporate that into his language, and it would become part of his language. And it would be him, not you. At that point, he would take from you and make it his own. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I was always very happy that he had something he loved. And uh, quite honestly, I wouldn't have cared if it was gardening. It, it wouldn't have yeah. mattered to me at all. The fact that it was music and we can hang out, it's wonderful. But if it had been gardening, we'd be in a garden. Right. And what was more important was the relationship. Well, and the than- Spanish thing is kind of speaks to that. The fact that Ben became such a cat in Spain. How great is that? But you've helped cultivate no, that. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that, because that's I was, so in, I was into Spain yeah, and then I started bringing him over to Spain. And then he said, oh, okay, cool. We're hanging in Spain now. And that's, you know. That's kind of how that happened. Well, let me ask you this, Leo. Uh, was it ever difficult to be a famous person's kid? Yeah, totally. How so? Um, you know, what's funny is you say famous person because, I, you know, I, I think – I don't know how famous Ben is, but he was real famous to me, you know. He loomed. Real, I think he's famous. He I mean, loomed really large to me. I just thought he was invincible. I mean I thought he was a superhero. I thought all you guys were superheroes, honestly. And, um, well, like I spoke to earlier, I had that, what they call imposter syndrome, you know, where you're afraid that you're going to get caught, you're going to yeah. get found out. I had that lo- for a long time. Mm. Um, I used to worry when I was on stage, like playing, you know, in my twenties, I would, I would, um, be on stage looking at the audience and think that I, I could see them judging I know, me i know i yeah. know, you know i know and you we are all oh, that just makes you know. a musician that's exactly <laughs> you're one yeah. of us yeah that's exactly funny. that's true it, yeah. it is every time we came off stage your brother billy would say yeah. we fooled him again that's right yeah that's true we fooled yeah. him again but finding your own voice when yes. you have a, such a yes presence in your father well, was that, that difficult for you it, i think it was i mean i think i think i i uh, I didn't know if I was supposed to sound like him or sound mm-hmm. like the opposite of him or, you know, that I had his voice in my, in my head for a long time. And, um, but I don't know at the end of the day, if that really is about him. I mean, I certainly would have said over m- many times in my life, yes, this is about B- Ben and how difficult this is to be my father's son. And this, but at the end of the day, I think it's just finding yourself, you know, and that was my version of that. Right. Um, 
I've, that can be the toughest part of the journey too. Is like, okay, wait a minute now, <laughs> what, totally. what am I supposed to be doing? Totally. And Who I, am and I? I? And I think, for example, you know, because we're we're playing these gigs, and I'm pl- playing drums with Ben this week, which is like a hat that I put on some, yeah. sometimes. Um, you know, there was this time when. I had heard all of the other drummers who played with Ben and I right. thought I'm supposed to sound like them, right. you know, and the music goes like that. And this is how Gordy Knudsen played. This is how Peter Erskine played it. Right. Here's how Steve Gadd played it. Here's how, you know, I mean, just, and on and on. And, um, and interestingly, Ben never told me how it was supposed to go. And then I got to find my sound in, in his music. You know, I got to find my own. Yeah. And then we got to influence the music. That's why I said earlier, I feel like we've been working together long enough that we've influenced each other. Like mm. I know that the sound of his band is influenced by the way I play drums with him. And that didn't, that happened because he, he really didn't. I've seen other fathers, sons. I've seen other son drummers playing yeah. with their fathers. And if dad say, you have to go to school on so-and-so's drum part. That The song doesn't work without that. You've yeah. got to play it that way. Ben never said that to me. Right. And so over time, that I... That creates curiosity, though. Don't it, you think that helped develop your voice? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it t- but it was all in my head. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't coming off of him at all. I right. give him a lot of credit for that. He never said, you know, you got to do this. or You know, he just let me work that whole thing out until I... Now I walk out on stage with him and I know that whatever it sounds like, it totally sounds like us. You that's know? It. Right. it doesn't sound like anybody else. And that's, that's, that's the, the top. What's so beautiful in the moment, too. Yeah. And, and we've come off of stages at jazz yeah. festivals with some of the greatest musicians around, and they go, yeah, man, that sounds great. Right? They don't judge. Well, they, the, they, they feel. They yeah. feel. If yeah. it feels good, man, yeah. that's right. everything. Yeah. It, it keeps coming back to this simple thing. You know, um, your... Uh, your being here on the planet is an opportunity. That's what it is. This is an opportunity to discover who you are, and you discover that through what you do, hmm. right? You don't go off into a cave and meditate for 20 right. years, right? Or, or very few people do. Maybe some people it's do. Done. It it's done. It's done. It is done. But generally what you do is you go out into the world, and you bump up against it, yeah. and you get tested all these different ways, and how, in the end, you choose to carry on determines who you are. And music is a wonderful version of the journey because the musical journey, you can't really hide. You know, uh, you, you bring all your bad habits with you mm, yeah. wherever you go. You can't hide. Everybody hears them. And then eventually, you start to fall in love with your own path. You start to say, as Leo said, you know, that's who we are. We sound like us. I like us. Yeah. I like being us. You know, that's, and that's being good. comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. I don't right. have to be somebody else in order to feel good. And lo and behold, that turns out to be a metaphor for the entire journey. That's really what we're trying to do here is we're trying to be comfortable with ourselves. And so music is a wonderful way to do that. I, I mean, ultimately, any choice you make is a metaphor for, for doing that. If you're going to sell shoes, you know, that's a, just an alternative metaphor. And, you know, I'm sure that that's a tough business also. Like, we, we're in a tough business right now. Oh, yeah. But I think pretty much every business is a tough business right now. It's a tough world. The world is much, yeah. it's much less forgiving, let me put it that way, than yeah. it was uh, a while ago. And, and we're all having to find our way through it. All right. Well, you... You you have thirty re- over thirty records you've done right. Oh God, yeah. You Almost just had 40. a birthday. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Seventy six. 
76. Trombones. Trombones. That's what Billy was singing, yeah. (laughs) So explain to me uh, how important is legacy Mm. to you? Wow. Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I think it's always been important. And so uh, I planned ahead. Uh, I, I, so my, this is a true thing. My father died uh, and left behind a stopped watch and an empty wallet. And I, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> That's, That's what he song. left by. That's a song is right. Ooh. So uh, I was very aware. Uh-huh. From, as a, and he died when I was young. I was in my early 20s. And I was very aware of wanting to leave something behind so that my child would know me and that my friends would know me. and that right. I, I, So from the beginning, I've always been very conscious of uh, not legacy so much, but uh, art, leaving artifacts mm. behind, mm. A, a trail through the forest. Yeah. And uh, now at this point, I don't think about it at all. Really? I literally don't think about it. I, I am working now on how to live the rest of my life without the necessity of generating product. Mm -hmm. I think about that all the time. Hmm. I've lived my whole life generating product. Sure. Making this, making that, selling this, selling that. I would like to think that there's a way at the end of one's life where you're living it is the product. And I'm trying to figure out how to do that uh, much more than I'm thinking about what to leave behind. I think I've left enough behind. Yeah. There's enough there that my granddaughter can pick up that book and read it and go, oh, that's what he was thinking. Right. You know, I don't need to do that. What I need to do now mm-hmm. is I need to find uh, the peace that can come. I, I tell you what, here's something. This will tell you what my interior journey is like. I fell in love with a particular writer, a Japanese writer. And so this summer I decided one of the projects, I was going to read every book he wrote. He wrote 15 books. So I did that this summer. And I sat in the backyard and I read all Murakami's books. And at one point, I, I was like sitting in there, and I was looking, and I saw the wind blowing through the trees. Now think about that. You can't see the wind. The wind's invisible. What I saw was the trees moving. And it occurred to me that you'll never see the wind. The only thing you can do is infer the wind is there when the trees move. Mm. And man, that really hit me, <laughs> that, there's oh, wow. a, that there's a lot about life that's like that. Yeah. It's a lot about life that you don't get to see and you don't get to know. You can infer it by what happens. And so that was a good, that was a good day for me. Hmm. Wow. Hey, I, I got another question for you. How proud are you of, of Kid? Ah, uh, he made me look so good. <laughs> he really showed up. He made me look so good. I mean, he's a great cat. I mean, he's just a great cat. The fact that he's talented... That's a bonus. I just love the fact that he's a great guy. It's just so fun to watch you two work together. And what what a thing it must be for you, Leo, to be able to say, I get to work with my pops and hang out with my pops. And, and Yeah, I mean, more every time more, you know. And you, you, you asked before, you know, was it hard to be the son of? And, yeah. and I think also, like, I spent a big part of my life when I was younger going, yeah, but you see, I'm going to do my own thing. See, I'm not, I'm yeah. not only about that. People think it's just about my dad, but I wait till they see what I can lay on the world. And and maybe I did lay enough on the world that I started to feel like I, right. I could come to be with him and, and not have it make me feel like less than, but make me feel like more than, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but now every time, every time we walk into a room in a session on the stage, I mean, I, I really do make an effort to just say, 
you know, uh, you're here. Just love this. Love every moment of this. Yeah. Appreciate this for whatever happens. And show up and know, care about it. Show up like, and care. Yeah. yeah. Show up and care. Yeah. It's so simple, man. It's wonderful. It's so simple. And you know, this again goes to your whole question about health and survival on yeah. the road. You know, you get into a lot of bad habits on the road because you can't control your life. You know, you can't control the food you eat. You go out there and there's the same food in catering or there's the same fast food. And it's right. hard. It's, it is yeah. hard. Yes. And so, you know, you're out there for two or three weeks. You can lose yourself, man. You could look around and go, oh, well, how did I get here? Where Now right. where am I? So, you know, care, showing up and caring turns out to be a big part of survival. Well, caring not only for your, your, your relationships, but for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to stay in shape. Yes, man, precisely. You, you can't do what you do if you're not healthy. Precisely. But I think the thing with you and in, in health is that you never took anything too far. I mean, the one thing, ironically, that you did take Moderation. too far was, was running, actually. That's yeah. the one thing that you did too much of. Well, wait the, a minute. We didn't even go. I mean, I, I wasn't even going to go, to, gonna go down this road, yeah. but I didn't know that you were a runner. You have to tell me a little bit about oh, that. Oh, me and Billy used to run all the time. Running with Billy was fantastic, man. He was a hell of a runner. He probably still is. Uh, no, I ran a marathon, and I would. I got into running uh, when in my 30s. No uh, kidding. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first day I went out, I ran a half a block and walked home. And eventually I was running five, six, ten miles. And what happened right. was uh, I got into the endorphins and I got into, you know, further, further, further. The mm-hmm. only thing that counts is running further. Yep. And so eventually, uh, I had, <laughs> many years later, I had to have a hip replacement. I had, oh. I, I had damaged the joints. I mean, you I'm can't. I'm listening because I am a marathon runner as well. So You can't. Do it, man. Your body is not made to do that. If you can run, oh, you're telling. Oh. Listen, if you can run six or seven miles comfortably, that's wonderful. Your body can do that, but ten miles is a pretty extreme distance. And fifteen, twenty, you're 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 really. We're not really set up as animals to do that. And there's a there's a price to pay. So I I only wish. I had kept my running to five miles. Oh. If I, you could still do it. On I the, could still do on it. On the other hand, there was something physical in Ben's body that was changed by running, and he has a heart condition that I think was uh, he was able to survive because he had been a runner. That if helped that you through sense. that. That's true. The doctor mm. said that to me. Interesting. That Interesting. Uh, I, I survived the heart problem because my heart was so strong from running. So on the one wow. hand, it cost me my hip, and on the other hand, it saved my heart. Your life. So. <laughs> so you choose, Paul. You yeah, make you your choose. Choices, what you oh, decide, boy. Man. Okay, let me think about that. I'll get back to you. What about you, Leo? When, what do you do? Is there, is there any kind of a routine that you have, whether it's at home or on the road? You know what I got into in the last handful of years is yoga. Is that right? Yeah. What's it do for you? Uh, a few things. One of the things I really like about it is that it is about connecting your breath and your mind with your body. So it's like a moving meditation. It can be. I find it when I can, it's really helpful to do it before I play. It totally centers me in my body. It fo- it gives me a point of focus. I mean, it it does both of those things. It's a physical thing. It puts me in touch with my body. It gets me aware of my posture and how Mm -hmm. I want to hold my body in space. And it also gives me a focus for my mind because as I was saying to Ben last night, I hadn't played a gig in a couple of months before we played last night. And I said, you know what I realized? It's not my chops that go down. It's my mental acuity. It's my Mm. mental focus to play two straight hours and keep 
reminding myself to come back to the music and not let it drift. And I find that yoga is something that helps me center literally my mind and my body. Wow, mental focus. Wow, that's fantastic because that's what running does for me. I imagine it would, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I love it. I love to get away from the phone Yeah, and just be out there. Yeah, Running's marvelous, you know. You get into that space where it's just movement. It's just your movement. You become movement. There's nothing like it. I I miss it. I I, I do miss it. I bet you do. And I love listening to new music, old music. Yeah. Out Just there. stuff that makes me go, oh, yeah. I forgot about yeah. this. I love researching my podcast yes. people when I'm running. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's fun. It's a great escape yes. for me. Mm-hmm. Tell me what's next. What? Uh, well, we just cut a song for you. What's next for you, Ben? Uh, well, uh, I've got, a, I got some writing projects that I'm working on. Um, but as I say, yep. I'm trying to sort this um, this <laughs> product on that. this product free existence. I, I don't say, know. That is that is. I mean, Ben has said some things I never heard him say before in this conversation. But that this thing that he's telling you, this yeah. is like a really new thing hmm. to say. Getting away from product because it's true. You have been. You know, there is no force in the world stronger than Ben when he has an idea to get something done. Yeah. Nothing matters more to him than making sure that this thing gets done when he cares about it. I mean, not not nothing, but, you know, the point is, like, it's very important to him that it get done. So the idea that that wouldn't be... You know, well, there's a little it. switch. Yeah. Well, no, in some ways, I see it as just an extension of that. It's yeah. the same thing. It's just not focused on uh, generating an artifact and yeah. trying to market it. Although, having said that, the next thing is that I, I wrote a biography of Tommy Lupuma. You know, did Tom, you? Oh, Tommy died two years ago. That. Yeah, and I spent the last two years of Tommy's life interviewing him. Uh, we were going to write this thing together, his mm. his story. So I got all his stories. Oh, my God. And then when he died a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, about a month before he passed away, Leo and I had dinner with him. And I said to him, Tommy, I can't write the book you want me to write. You have to write the book you want. I want to write the book I want to write. And Tommy gave me his blessing that night at dinner. He said, go ahead, do what you want with it. And then he yeah. died. Oh. So I did. I, I wrote the story I wanted to write. Huh. Uh, and so that's going to come out in March, and I'm I'm real happy about that because honestly, Tommy's not that famous a guy. You know, there's a few thousand people out here who know who he is and oh, what boy, he did. Oh boy, do we ever? Mm-hmm. We do, but it's not the general public. It's not like a, you know Paul McCartney or a rock star, mm-hmm. even though he sold 75 million records. Yes, he did. Um, so it's a labor of love, and so in that sense, it's wonderful for me because I I am in the process of kind of disengaging from the um, constant need to, to monetize. Mm. Uh, that's becoming important to me, just like when yeah. I play gigs now. Yeah. Um, it's very important to me to have gigs that aren't money-driven because so many of the... Right. But fortunately, you're a jazz musician, so, that's so I don't have to worry about that. It's getting easier, yeah. <laughs> it's getting easier. Oh, Yes. You know, it's, it's, we get to choose our lives, Paul. That's the bottom line. We get to choose who we are and how we live. And we spend our lives kind of wandering in a daze thinking somebody else is going to tell us and nobody shows up to tell us. And to, to this day, I'm 76 years old. I'm still dealing with that. Yeah. You know, that's all part of the journey, man. 
caring. It is. That's why caring is important, man. You you really, it's like when you say you listen to music and it's old music and you forgot how great that sounded. Yeah. That's real important, man. Yeah, those sure moments, is. those moments when you when you hear something and it reminds you of you know the good. Yeah. That's it. We need the good. We need the good. These are hard times. There's some a good name for a song too. We need the, the good. That's the name of this episode, I would say. If you yeah, need a name we need for the it, we good. need the good. Yeah. We need the good. And we want to bring it. And Leo, you know, I'll never stop calling you kid. I'm sorry, you're stuck with that. He's I the love kid. it. Uh, not many people call me my nickname. Saint? Well, no, that one's no. PJ? PJ. PJ. Yeah. They don't call you PJ? I thought no, everybody no, call you PJ. Only a few people can get away. Oh, now yeah. the world knows. Now, now the world knows. Now the world knows. Works. But you don't have to tell them what it stands for. Yeah. All right, maybe I'll take that part out of the... Yeah, yeah. Uh, cut no, that I, DJ I, I have out. editing capabilities yeah. I probably won't use. Hmm. Uh, you wrote a song for your pop's 76th birthday. Yes, I did. Oh, Tell me a little bit about pop. Um, well... The song pop. Yes, pop was the name that Ben and his siblings called their father, right. Lou. Okay. Um, he, as as he mentioned, uh, his father died in the late 60s when he was in his 20s, and I was born in the mid-70s, so I never met him. Yep. I, I just have this idea of this guy, Pop. And uh, in the uh, Jewish tradition, you can uh, name a newborn child uh, after – you don't name a, a child generally after a living relative. You, you would name after somebody who's deceased already. Mm-hmm. And, and often it's just the first letter. So my name, Leo, is in part a – a tribute to my grandfather, Lou. I'm named for Lou. So the song kind of puts together a few of these strings, a few of these ideas together. And the other thing I'll say about Lou is uh, he has represented something huge to me my whole life. I, over the course of my life, have imagined conversations I would have with him. Mm. Uh, First, trying to explain who I am to him and wondering what he would think of me, you know? And then also as the world started to change more and more thinking, how would I explain? Imagine that Lou died in 1967. He's born in Poland at the beginning of the 20th century. What would I tell him about the world? Show him my cell phone and the internet and, and what, what life is like today. I mean, there's so many things that have changed. He's only, I'm one, two generations away from him, but it's such a different planet. So he now represents this idea of like how the world has changed, you know? So I have all of this in my head when I go into writing this song, which is as much for my father as it is about my grandfather. And it's a song that tells this story first of uh, what the environment might've felt like based on stories I've heard of uh, the house that my dad grew up in because Lou was a deeply talented and troubled person mm-hmm. and the f- and the family was not always such a happy place the house right. was not a happy place so it paints this picture of a kind of sad quiet loneliness in, in this house that's the first verse and the second verse tells the other side of Lou because the thing that we learned about him after he died Ben learned and I subsequently learned is that he was a total cat outside of the house people loved him for example he commuted every day from Racine Wisconsin to, sh- to Chicago where he was worked in advertising and people said to Ben man you should have seen him in the bar car on the train ride home he was a cat he <laughs> really? was so funny he told knew all the jokes and he and he played like, had a card game on you know he was it seems like you never really got to see that part of him so as mm. much as I thought oh I never got to meet my grandfather it's almost like Ben really never got to meet him in that way either Right. And so the song is really talking about my dad as a child, talking about my grandfather as an adult, then talks about me, how they named me for him, and uh, also 
raises this question of what it would be like to talk to him. It's, it really is, was a kind of a tribute to talk about the generational yeah. con continuity, you know? Right. And uh, made a little video that was based on all of these images. So you have to look this up. Yeah. This video is brilliant. The song is brilliant. Thank you. And, and the then, uh, yeah, we put it out for Ben's birthday last week, a couple weeks ago. And, and um, I never wrote anything like that. I think you wrote that. A couple people wrote to me and said, man, you never wrote anything like that. I never did write anything yeah. that was both that visual and that personal. Yeah. And I will tell you, the response when you put yourself out there and really share something personal like that, it's a different kind of response that I that I got to that song. Yeah, it's just, it's so great. And everything that you're doing, the the, the third story, uh, all the videos that you're making yeah, now, man, thanks, the presence that you have online, it's just, it's great. And I'm learning from you. Well, I'm now. still learning from you, man. We're just, <laughs> now we're doing it to each other then because I'm still checking you out. And, and it's so cool to, you know, to continue to be uh, in your life, man. Really. Guys, this has been uh, a dream come true to get the two of you yeah. together. And, and of course, in the studio too. But I'm glad to we could be do able this. to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time out. Glad I know we could you got a gig well. tonight. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time out. Man, I always learn something from you every time we sit down. I drop you little notes once in a while. You do, man. I appreciate like, it, oh, too. I learned something again. <laughs> oh, Ben, you gave me another lesson. So thank you. And, and thanks for, for everything that you've always done for me and my family as well. I mean, well, back we, it does not go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. Back at you. Back yeah. at you. I've, I've picked up a lot mm. of good pointers from yeah. you and your family. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, I love you. And uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. We did so, it. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. This has been Music on the Run with the Sidrons, Leo and Ben Sidron. Join us next time for the next episode. We're out. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson, recorded and produced by Davide Razo, lighting and videography by David Kurtovich, and video editing by Ivan Sevastionov. Special thanks to Steve Weiss at Creation Audio for hosting us. Remember, Ben Sidron always says, how can I miss you if you won't go away?